Welcome to the Word for Everyday Disciples with Dave DeSelm, a weekly podcast that brings biblical teaching to everyday people in ways we can understand and put into practice. I'm your host, Gwen DeSelm, and I'm so glad you've joined us for this Easter episode of the Word for Everyday Disciples. Our teacher is Dave DeSelm. Dave spent over 40 years in pastoral ministry, planting, growing, and leading a church. Currently, he is the executive director of Dave DeSelm Ministries, offering resources for everyday pastors and the people they lead, such as a blog, devotionals, coaching, speaking, and more. You can find out more about us at davedeselmministries.org. Well, friends, if Easter is about anything, it's about hope. The empty tomb declares that no matter what you may be facing, God has the last word. Let's join Dave now for this inspiring Easter message. Morning, everybody. Happy Easter. I didn't even know some of you guys own suits. You really look good. Talked with someone at the Welcome Center, and they said, you're wearing a suit. I said, yep, if I marry you, if I bury you, or on Easter, you get to see the suit. (laughs) We're going to take a look at what God has to say about this issue of hope. And to begin with, I'd like you to lift your eyes and voices and read this verse uh, aloud with me, would you please? Therefore, we who have fled to Christ for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. I want to talk today about hope. And in so doing, I realize that some of you, for some of you, this is not necessarily a a front burner issue. And the reason why is you're really doing well these days. And I'd say, man, if that's the horse you're on, ride that baby. Enjoy it. But I recognize in a crowd the size that we're having today, there are hundreds of people today who struggle with hope. Whatever issue it may be and whatever degrees there may be, you're grappling with this idea of hopelessness, notwithstanding the beauty of spring. I'm reminded of a couple who comes here to fellowship and they've got a special needs child who's had surgery after surgery. And notwithstanding all the best that doctors and medicines can do, things look pretty hopeless for that little one. And that little one may not be around much longer. And it's Easter. I'm reminded of the young wife, married less than five years, reeling in the backside of her husband's abandonment, all alone, with a little one, wondering, where's hope for me? Or of a man who just received a very, very difficult medical diagnosis. It looks pretty grim for him right now. For some of you, your hopelessness engages your children. You see them struggle and you know it's getting worse. For those of you who involves your finances or your job, Varying degrees, hope is a distant and fading memory. That being the case, I feel like we need to lean into this thing today with something that is far beyond glib or superficial, don't you? I mean, is there really anything that we can have as an anchor for our souls, as the verse said to us? To begin with, the Bible gives us that. And that's why Easter, I'm convinced, if Easter is true, if the grave really is empty, it right-sizes everything else everything else. Nothing is ultimately hopeless if Easter is true. Now, if ever there was a prophet of hope in the Old Testament, it was a guy named Isaiah. And he recognized that as a diamond is best seen amidst a black backdrop, so hope is best 
embraced in the midst of despair. And he writes these unique words in the 40th chapter of his book that bears his name. The voice said, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its loveliness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, and the flower fades. And only after he offers this grim assessment of the human condition does Isaiah add, but the word of our God stands forever. God says, in effect, to the prophet, I want you to give them the bad news. Remind them that life is short, seemingly futile, all too fragile. Remind them of that reality. But let them know this. I've got the last word. I've got the last word. The word of the Lord lasts forever. But it's true, isn't it? Life is short. And soon you're going to die. Isn't that a great Easter greeting? Life is short, and then you're going to die. Now, here's the interesting thing. Whether you believe the Bible or not, that's simply true, friends. Listen, I've read the statistics. One out of one Americans dies. I've checked this out. I really have. We live in a culture that doesn't really talk about death too much. In fact, we live in a denial of death. I was online some weeks back about this idea of freezing your body. Have you seen this? You can pay thousands to have your body frozen after you die with the goal, hopefully, that years after you die, they're going to discover what killed you and melt you and bring you back to life. You may chuckle, but there are thousands of people who are spending hundreds of thousands of dollars. But the Bible says to us, you need to think soberly about this. Because it's real. Like it or not, not, death is inevitable. Now, for centuries, people understood this and embraced it. In fact, some of you might remember this. This was the very first prayer I was ever taught. Remember this one? Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. And that's a cheery way to send your kid off to bed, isn't it? <laughs> Nighty-night, honey. Hope you don't die. <laughs> Crazy. How many of you remember this prayer? It's, it's, it's wild. Now, did you know, I'm not making this up, there is a second verse to that prayer. Second verse. Our days begin with trouble here. Our life is but a span. And cruel death is always near. So frail a thing is man. Wow. People actually taught their kids to pray this. Why? Because they wanted their kids to look straight in the eye the greatest threat that they would ever know, their death, and to know that there was somebody who had the last word over that. Not everybody believes that. Anybody familiar with the name Mel Blanc? You know who Mel Blanc is? Any like Looney Tunes? He was the voices for all the Looney Tunes. Mel Blanc died. Well, remember, 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 every Looney Tunes would end with Porky Pig coming up the crap. What would he say? That's all, folks. Remember that? Mel Blanc died about a decade ago. When he was buried, a tombstone was erected, and his family had etched on his tombstone. I'm not kidding you. That's all, folks. It's on Mel Blanc's tombstone. You can go out to Hollywood. You can see that on his tombstone. That's all, folks. What's his name? That's all there is. There's no more. It's all over. So here's the question I want you to ponder in the time we have left. Which is more true? He's risen indeed, or that's all, folks. Your answer to that question is not only important as it relates to your eternal destiny, but to how you navigate life now in the midst of hopeless, seemingly hopeless situations.
That's all, folks. That's all there is. Grass withers, flowers fade, and we die like dogs. Or could it be that God has a last word? I mentioned to you John chapter 11. Do you have your Bible or phones or iPads or whatever you're using? Open it up to John chapter 11. This isn't a direct Easter text, but boy, it sure does show Easter reality. What we have here in John 11 is a story of Jesus and some good friends of his. Two sisters and a brother, apparently none married, who lived together in a little burg called Bethany. It was simply a little suburb of Jerusalem. And when Jesus would come south, he would always stay with Lazarus and Mary and Martha. They were among his closest friends. One day, Lazarus gets sick. He spikes a fever. He starts coughing up blood. Whatever it was, he goes to whatever medical care would have been offered in the day. And the doctors say, we're very sorry. This is terminal. You're going to die. And you're going to die soon. Mary and Martha, Lazarus' sisters, are shattered. So what do they do? Verse 3, John 11. The sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. They know Jesus can heal. They've seen Jesus heal, and he's healed total strangers. Surely he would heal this man. Notice they didn't mention his name. The one you love. You know who it is. Your good friend, Lazarus. Now generally, if you're told that someone you love really needs you, what do you do? Go immediately, right? Interestingly enough, Jesus doesn't do that. Verse 5. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, this is intriguing, he stayed where he was for two more days. Then he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. Now he has his reasons for doing this, and verse 4 kind of explains that. But Mary and Martha have never read John 11.4. They don't get it. Two days pass, and now he's heading south, down to verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come for Mary and Martha to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you'd been here... My brother would not have died, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I'm the resurrection, the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never really die. Do you believe this? That's the biggest question you'll ever be asked. Do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life? Do you believe that he is who he said he was and that he truly did arise on Easter? Have you in fact placed your faith in him? Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Maybe you're not sure. Maybe you came in here with more questions than answers. So, I don't know. I was invited. thought I'd better go to church sometime. I don't know if I buy this whole thing. You people certainly get excited. But I don't know if I buy it. You know what? I'm so glad you're here. This place is just for you. Take it from me as a one-time skeptic. Ask your questions. Kick the tires. 
Make your inquiries. Just be honest enough to deal with your findings, because you know what? You're betting your one and only life on your decision. You're listening to The Word for Everyday Disciples with Dave DeSelm. Dave will continue his message in just a moment. If you're enjoying this podcast, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode, and then help others find us by sharing this podcast with your friends and family. You can also support us in this ministry. Just go to davedesellministries.org and click on the Donate button. Well, Dave Desell Ministries offers resources for everyday pastors so they can equip the everyday people that they lead to become everyday disciples. And one of the ways we do that is through the Everyday Pastor blog. In each post, Dave offers practical insight and personal experience born of over 40 years of pastoral leadership. This blog covers topics everyday pastors and leaders need to strengthen their skills, sharpen their vision, and care for their souls. You can find the Everyday Pastor blog on our website, davedesellministries.org. Now let's get back to today's teaching and be sure to stay with us at the end for a special message from Dave. Martha has already seen enough. She makes her faith declaration in verse 27. Yes, Lord, she told him, I believe that you're the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. Now what comes next is really remarkable in the story. Down to verse 33. Mary now is coming out to him. And when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Verse 35. Don't miss it. Jesus wept. Shortest verse in the whole Bible. Why is it there? Jesus knew what he was going to do. He's going to lift this guy from the dead. He's going to restore him to his sisters. So why did he weep? There's only one reason. He saw how deeply hurt his friends were in this broken world, and it pained him greatly. Don't you ever wonder for a moment if Jesus doesn't see you in the midst of all you're facing and care for you no less. Jesus wept. It's an amazing verse. It's an amazing verse. Dropping down a bit more, Jesus, in this wonderful snapshot now, takes action in verse 38. Once more deeply moved, he came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Ironically, this would have been the very same kind of tomb with a stone against the entrance that he would bypass in just a week or so. Jesus says, take away the stone. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he's been there for four days. Now if you know anything about Martha, she was a very meticulous woman, a very fastidious housekeeper. Perhaps her last name was Stuart. We really don't know for sure. But we got Martha right here. And Martha doesn't want the seal broken. Why? Because she says it's a bad odor. I like the way the King James Version renders it. But Lord, he stinketh. That's exactly what it says. Lord, he stinketh. Notice the four-day deal. Do you see that? That's not by accident. In Jewish folklore, this isn't biblical, but it's in Jewish folklore, the idea was that the soul would hover above the body 
hoping to re-enter for three days. But by the fourth day, decomposition would have so kicked in that the soul would have gone away. It was a, a, a myth. It was a legend, an urban legend. I think John records this, though, for an important reason. John wants us to know Lazarus was really dead. He's been there for four days. Jesus is not concerned. Verse 40, Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you'll see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. Pause right there. Lazarus hasn't come out yet. The seal is broken. How does Jesus know that the Father has heard him? Because Lazarus doesn't stinketh. There's no smell. It's intriguing. It says, the Father has always heard me. What's that mean? Do you remember that day, those days he delayed before coming down to Bethany? What do you think he was doing those days? I don't think he was sitting on his hands. I think he was praying. Father, you always hear me when I pray. I ask that you would have the last word in this. I ask that Lazarus will supernaturally be raised from the dead. It's an amazing thing. Verse 43, when he said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. One commentator said, it's a good thing he mentioned his name or the whole cemetery would have emptied at that moment. <laughs> just, just you this time, Lazarus, or just you this time. Lazarus, come out, he says. The dead man, this is shades of the mummy right here. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Man, what a party must have kicked in. Mary's elated. Martha's thrilled. You ever wonder how Lazarus felt about the whole thing? He's been in paradise for three days. He's just getting the hang of the place. Now all of a sudden he gets ripped back to good old earth. And he probably thought, I don't, I've got to die all over again. My insurance company's never going to believe this. But he's grappling with this. This story is so timeless in its appeal, friends, because what it says to us is though the grass withers and the flowers fade, though death appears to have the last word for the person who puts their trust in Jesus, that's not all, folks. The best is yet to come. And if he can conquer that in your life, there is nothing that you can't face. He still has the last word in situation after situation. Anne Lamott wrote, for the Christian, death is just a change of address. I love that. You step through a doorway. We move on. We move up. Winston Churchill's arguably the man of the century in the 1900s. When he died after this colorful and storied life, his funeral took place in St. Paul's Cathedral in London. After the funeral service, as the people prepared to leave, seeing that the grass had withered, the flowers had faded, even Winston Churchill couldn't defeat death, there was a bugler who stepped out, and he began to play this.
done, gone the sun. One more has gone. That's all, folks. But then something happened that surprised and delighted the crowd. As they were leaving their seats, the bugler played this. got to get up. You got to get up. You ain't done yet. You're moving up. You're moving on. And the people burst into applause because the beauty of that moment, because for the believer in Christ, Jesus has the last word. And the same thing is true for you. Whether you're facing death itself or whether you're facing any other circumstance in your life, whether you're facing challenges with your kids, God's got the last word. Whether you're facing issues in your marriage, God's got the last word. Whether you're grappling with your physical condition or your finances, your employment, God's got the last word. If Easter says anything to us, for those who know Christ, there is no situation and no circumstance that he is not sovereign over. I can't tell you that you will see everything you want to in this life, but I can tell you this. You've got a reason to hope because he's got the last word. Hey there, friends. Pastor Dave here. Thank you for joining me for this special Easter message. I pray that it gives you hope for whatever it is that you're facing this season. We all need this reminder that God sees you and hears you, and He can do something about your situation. So as we end this time together, I'd like to pray for you. Dear God, to varying degrees, we all struggle with what seems to be hopeless situations. Yet as we've seen in these last minutes, you have the last word, not only in life, but in death. Thank you for this reality. Help us to remember it in the days, weeks, and months ahead that for the one who has come to embrace Jesus by faith, there is in fact strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Amen. One more thing. If you have yet to come to know Christ and have some questions, feel free to contact me. I'd love to send you some material that will help you in your spiritual pilgrimage. Thank you so much for joining us for The Word for Everyday Disciples with Dave DeSelm. If you'd like more information on how you can begin a relationship with Christ, or you just want to let Pastor Dave know how much this message has blessed you, send him an email at dave at davedeselmministries.org. Then join us next time as we look to God's Word for help and hope as we follow Jesus every day.